I'm going to a small unconference in a small west of Ireland village. The village is on the border of Galway and Mayo. And it's where the film The Quiet Man, 1952 film, directed by John Ford, starring John Wayne, Maureen O'Hara. It's where that film was made. It's a beautiful little village, lots and lots of water, and tiny, really. Hopefully the weather will be good. The on-conference doesn't cost anything to go to, but you need to produce a paper to get in. And there will be groups of people small groups during the day at lots of different locations in the village and at each small group there'll be two or three people speaking about their pet angle on innovation that yes innovation is the theme if you like of the conference and the words disrupt, rethink, reimagine, rebuild, those are words that are associated with the hashtag Kong17. The whole conference is called Congregation. And uh, I've prepared a paper which I'm going to put up here, offer you for your consideration. I hope you're going to find it worth listening to. And uh, I won't be presenting it really until Saturday. So your comments, your, um, yes, your ideas even on the topic of innovation, any aspect of it you like to take would be very welcome. So, with no more ado, here is what I am going to present in some way at the unconference in Kong on Saturday. It's entitled, Innovating is Tough. This year, the topic is innovation, and we've taken a really broad approach to it. So. We didn't want a whole forum full of innovation experts. We, you know, we have a good chunk of them, but then we have a good chunk of life coaches, psychologists, farmers, and it's everything from you know how do you do innovation in a big organisation? How do you kind of get it all the way through? And people cover different parts of that, all the way through to people talking about how do you innovate their life. How do you innovate your life? Wow, what a big uh, theme! How do you innovate a part of your life? How do you innovate congregation? How do you in innovate an individual huddle? Very tough, very difficult to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else. To make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight. I didn't make up those words. No one can build you the bridge on which you and only you must cross the river of life. 
I didn't write those words. The true and durable path into and through experience involves being true to your own solitude, true to your own secret knowledge. I didn't write those words either. A poet is someone who feels and who expresses his feelings through words. This may sound easy. It isn't. A lot of people think or believe or know they feel. But that's thinking or believing or knowing, not feeling. And poetry is feeling, not knowing or believing or thinking. Almost anyone can learn to think or believe or know, but not a single human being can be taught to feel. Why? Because whenever you think or you believe or you know, you're a lot of other people. But the moment you feel, you're nobody but yourself. To be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. That's E. Cummings. Now the best definition of innovation that I know is also the simplest one and easiest to remember. Innovation is not copying. I picked a very unimpressive title for my blog post. I called it Not Copying Will Make You Stronger because I read in something Chris Brogan wrote that the phrase will make you is one of the most attractive phrases to use in a title of a blog post. So I decided to experiment by using something that Chris Brogan came up with in his one of his Sunday newsletters to see if it would result in more people than I expected reading my blog post. In fact, so far no one has read my blog post because my blog post is not written. This is my blog post. I realize that this is the sixth year, fifth or sixth year of congregation and that each year there have been huddles and that it each huddle has been a group of people, there's been somebody chairing them, and there's been presentations, conversations, and a whole lot of imaginations in the same room. And I thought to myself, well, I always think to myself, what would a huddle have to be like if it wasn't, if I didn't copy it from the format of the last few years? What kind of an experience would the huddle have to be if it was going to be? innovative. And as soon as I asked that question, I got excited and I got scared. I got excited because I thought, wow, imagine what it would be like if I went to a huddle and I came away saying, wow, that was run in an innovative way. There'll be lots of ideas, new ideas, fresh ideas for me to take in at the uh, workshop. There'll be fresh ideas for you to take in at the hut. Fresh information. But the process, what would it have to be like? And I thought it's all very easy to come up with. The thought that I want this huddle to not copy any other hut. Is there a point in having a huddle that isn't innovative? that isn't talking about innovation, but is an innovative experience in its own right? Well, of course there is. The whole of life cannot be an experience of innovation.
being traditional, re-emphasizing, re-communicating, copying, imitating, being inspired by others, acquiring knowledge which others have acquired. Daily life would be impossible without doing that. But what happened at El Bouli? What happened in the restaurant in El Bouli? Every six months they threw away the recipe book. Every six months they set out to unlearn. They closed down. There are conservative definitions of innovation. To modify in a small way something that already exists is sometimes referred to as innovation. So for example in running a huddle to begin with questions rather than presenting something. Perhaps that would be innovative. Ferran Adria was the leader in El Bulli. He had an obsession with perpetual change. It won't be an innovative experience if we sit in a, a round tables and discuss how we might have an innovative experience. It'll have to be something that is made as freshly as the introduction of chemistry onto the dinner table. Deconstructing, reinventing dishes, using different ingredients, tastes, textures and sci-fi equipment. Molecular gastronomy. Whatever description people care to put on it, stop imitating and start creating was Adria's guiding principle. If this huddle stops imitating other huddles and starts creating a huddle that has, hasn't yet been imagined, that'll be copying Adria's guiding principle. An obsession with perpetual change reminds me of a phrase Trotsky used to use, permanent revolution. I don't yet know what an innovative huddle might be like in Kong. I'd love to experience one. I'd love to co-experience one. I want to bend Bob Dylan's words into this shape. For me, the environment to have a huddle is extremely important. The environment has to bring out something in us, in me, in us, that wants to be brought out. It is a contemplative, reflective thing. People need peaceful, invigorating environments, stimulating environments. Bob said, it's not to anybody's best interest to think about how they will be perceived tomorrow. It hurts you in the long run. The evolution of a huddle is like a snake with its tail in its mouth. 
That's evolution. That's what it is. As soon as you're there in a huddle, you find your tail. Maybe there's no such thing as a huddle that hasn't been invented already. Maybe there is such a thing as a huddle which is imagined. Synopsis of this blog post. There is only a synopsis, an innovative synopsis is not written down, is not read, is not spoken. It's something else. Maybe it's worth making. Four key takeaways to commit to being an innovative person is to commit to a combination of hardship and satisfaction. Number two, copying others is much, much easier than not copying others. The bottom line in business innovation is imagining the impossible or what seems impossible. No one has the energy to innovate all the time. About Paul O'Mahony, Paul O'Mahony writes poetry for a living. Paul O'Mahony speaks for a living. There is a rumour that Paul O'Mahony is alive and usually in Cork. I don't want to be applauded for what I'm doing, driving northwest out of Cork City towards the village where the quiet man was made. No, please don't applaud me. I don't deserve it. After all, I'm in a warm car. True, the weather's crap outside. Cold, damp, squally, overcast, dull. I'm driving into a countryside where snow has fallen, where ice held the road overnight. I don't deserve any sympathy. All I'm doing is going to a small unconference where some years ago it was quite radical to turn the traditional format of conferences inside out. Where years ago there was a rebellion. I don't know who started the rebellion. A rebellion against the format of the establishment. The conference establishment that put big wigs on the stage giving keynote speeches and little wigs on the stage giving optional speeches. And everybody sat quietly in the auditorium waiting for the Q&A. And the speakers would nibble into the time available for Q&A. 
And nobody wanted a Q&A. Nobody. People in the audience wanted to make their own speech, wanted to have their own li limelight. Nobody wanted to be a inert recipient. Everybody wanted to appear to be worth paying attention to. Not just the speakers who were being paid, fated, whom the audience were funding. Oh yes, unconference involved everybody having their say. There being loads and loads of speakers and loads and loads of choices of what you were to go to. And big posters on the wall where people could advertise. Sessions that had never been advertised before. Remember China. Remember the people who used to put posters up on walls. By the way, I heard that this happens at medical conferences as well. That's a completely different kettle of fish, though. Oh, yes, at unconferences, people were radical. What's the phrase? Not just disrupting the status quo confronting the status quo, everyone claiming the right to be heard and the right to ignore the scheduled speakers. The kind of conference, unconference, where the gap between official speakers was long, so there could be long networking coffee breaks where it was possible to get free drinks while the keynote speakers were speaking so that people could say to each other ah look I've seen the TED talk already or I've read their latest blog post or I get their newsletter all the time anyway people will tweet the consequence the, the content yeah I'm off to Kong 17 Arriving into Kong at 13 minutes past five in the afternoon, it's getting dark. In fact, it's more than getting dark, it is dark. And I've just seen my first snow of the year. The car parked up, snow on it. I see other cars here with snow on them. This village, Kong, is, you could say, surrounded by water. We came over a bridge, fast running water. The village has a one-way system. There's water all down the left-hand side. Another bridge. Yeah, and I need some food. I'm here now until Sunday lunchtime. And right now I'm saying to myself, is there anyone around for a pint? I could do with a pint of Guinness. I have a reservation in a bed and breakfast. That's great, that's fine. I've got my accommodation sorted out for two nights. But I actually want a pint.
pint. So I'm going to go into the hotel, which is, let me see, the nerve center of the hotel, Ryan's Hotel, it's called. And you just don't know who might be sitting here. There, there's another bar down there called Danaher's Hotel. Hello? Hey! Hey! Good to see you! Good to see you! Good to see you. Are you you're on coffee? I, I'm on tea. So. Right, right. I'm going for a pint. Where are you going to drink your tea? I'm going to drink I'm, I'm going back up to my room for an hour. Where are you staying? So I'm just staying in here. Oh, right. I'm in a so got somewhere. Got a, got, a, right. got, a, got a bit of work to do. Yeah. And then I'm going to meet Tom Murphy down here for six, at six for a bite to eat before we go up to Ashford. Oh, so, I'll, so. I'll join you if that's okay do, at six. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. lovely. Lovely. Cool. I'm just literally. And if you're uh, drinking, I shouldn't give you a lift out to. Uh, no, I don't drink up. enough to okay. need. Uh, that's very good of you, but I'm. Uh, I know exactly how much I'll have, and it won't be. I'll probably have a, a total of two pints. That's all. But I'm going to sit in here. God, yeah. it's just lovely to get out of the car. <laughs> I drove from Cork without getting out. How long you know? was that? Ah, I was aiming to leave. At half one, I don't think I left till about ten past two. Okay, that's all. So it's been fairly good. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, it wasn't too bad at all. Yeah, I came there for Dublin. I stopped in Galway now and had a wander during the morning, but still around the. Oh, that was nice. Yeah, that was a plan. So. And you did it? And I did it. How long is Galway to here then if you hadn't stopped? Oh, to here is about 45 minutes. Oh, sorry. I mean, Dublin to here. Yeah, in the event. That's not much, isn't it? No, it's not really. No. Yeah, I thought somehow in my head it had a cork further away, but... Uh, so did I, yeah. Maybe you're driving faster. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> or less traffic. Yeah, less traffic. I'll see you. I'll, where am I see you? In Dan Hurst? Or where? Uh, where are you meeting? In Ryan's. In... No, in no, no, no. But where are we meeting at 6 o'clock? Uh, in Ryan's. Oh, great. Yeah, oh, lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Okay. <clears throat> Can I have a pint of Guinness, please?
fine first thing this morning blue skies sun the, the woman I who was at breakfast in the bed and breakfast described the sky as lemony which I thought was a great phrase I'm now looking at hills that are covered in a light dusting of snow and off in the distance towards I think towards the sea 
big uh, clouds laden with water. I'm driving from the bed and breakfast into Kong village. That meant driving up a narrow laneway onto the road, which has got no markings. They're doing a bit of work on the road. And I'm driving at about 30 kilometers an hour gingerly along the road. Kong Angling Center on the right hand side. It was about half one last night when I got uh, back to the bed and breakfast. Oh, today is the real meat of the conference. Unconference. I better call it non-conference in case anybody hasn't heard me talking about it before and I'm sure you haven't. But it's a hundred people who will be divided into groups of about 10 and will go off to have a huddle for an hour. Then there's a break, go back into a different huddle and there's a very complicated mathematical algorithm. I suppose all algorithms are mathematical, but anyway, there's a, a mechanism by which you find yourself in a different group with as few overlaps as possible during the day. You go into four different huddles, and at each of these huddles, two or three people lead conversation. If it's three, it's 20 minutes, you have the lead for. If it's two, it's obviously half an hour, and it will all, there'll always be two, definitely two. So, and that's the structure of the day. It's built around that. There break, obviously, break for lunch. There's half an hour in between each huddle. And the theme is innovation. And this is called Congregation Technology. Uh, it's more like a, it's more like a, a, a gathering, a, a um, God, the word that comes to me is confluence of people. Um, it's very fluid. People are moving around all day. And I met um, quite a few people last night who, who I'd met before in Kong at this event. And I met one or two people who'd never been here before. I don't yet know what the ratio is of those who've been here before and those who are new. Over a, over a bridge here now fast-flowing river down there. It's a complicated village. You drive around the one-way system, which is what I'm doing, the Kogan's Bar on the right and Danaher's Hotel with Bar on the left. There's somebody, this is terrible, somebody I know who um, I've waved to on that side of the road. I know her reasonably well. She works with Bernie Goldbach in um, in, in Limerick Institute Technology. And Bernie, I'm, I imagine you're listening to this. She's your colleague and I've met her several times and we had a great chat and uh, she didn't know you weren't coming. Several people asked if you were coming. Um, don't ask me the names. I'm a disaster when it comes to names, but... Should I park outside that place? 
Ah, parking in here. There's some more water there on the left-hand side now. And after I park the car, it'll be going into the uh, opening of the conference that I'll be doing. Oh, it's Saturday. I'm going to park here outside the post office. Mm. This is the sound of a crowded room in the west of Ireland at an unconference called Congregation. I assume it's quite impossible to say anything you will you will catch. I'm just going to walk my way around the room. Good morning, Ginger. Good morning. Nice to see you both. Nice to see you. Oh, there are people being interviewed out here in this uh, room. It's a very good thing to happen. I'm just leaving the room. I'm coming to the hotel reception. Kano Munakon from Black Knight Solutions is interviewing, I think, David Luxman, who's written a book and has it here and is selling it and he is a top class marketeer he's the one who he's one of the two people who invented Bailey's Irish cream yeah absolutely true he did he invented Bailey's and he told us the story last night about how Bailey's was invented he spoke in the style of a Irish storyteller leaning on the bar. It was absolutely superb, short, 20-minute presentation, which I recorded. Conor uh, Munichon is using a Rode mic, one of these ones that sticks out. Con uh, is wearing black shoes, uh, blue jeans, faded knees, uh, a black uh, hoodie, uh, a pair of glasses uh, which uh, don't have any any uh, any frames around them. Um, David David Luxman looks to me as if he's wearing a pair of Echoes. He's also got black Echoes. He's got blue trousers. They're lighter blue than. And Conor Munichons, he's got his own book on his left knee. He's got something the matter with his left hand. It looks like as if he's injured his left hand because he's, he's got his fingers inside some kind of a glove. Around his neck hangs a lanyard. He's wearing glasses which do have a frame around them. And he's sitting very calmly in the chair. And neither men have their legs crossed. 
the road mic is uh, plugged into. A zoom, the top of the range zoom, as those of you who are into uh, audio sound recording will recognize. Alongside the recording device is the camera, which is focused on David Luxman, who's nicely framed in a landscape camera. The sound level is perfect. And it's, oh, oh, they're shaking hands, they're shaking hands. Khan has finished the interview. He's uh, being, his book is being given back um, to him. And he's, he's a lovely man, Conor Munikon. Um, I recorded him on live on Periscope a little while ago because I'll be using Periscope and Anchor during the day today. Uh, Con is a professional um, interviewer radio man. When I first came across him, he was the best blogger in the Irish language in Ireland for two consecutive years. Thank you very much for listening. A very good friend of mine, I used to live in the UK for a long time, a very good friend of mine, Nicholas yeah. Stroud, um, was a... Uh, he used to get packages delivered to him from the BBC of the words and he actually <laughs> earned money part yeah. of his income um, writing those um, explanations wow. right the fake ones in the oh well the, the fake ones yeah. you see but he used they used to come in the form of you know 20 words he'd be sent 20 words i think there'd be more than one person receiving the same package of 20 words okay and they would pick a certain number like they wouldn't, they would just pick the best ones that came yeah. back. But um, he um, he did that, and there was I forget who was on it. Was that English um, cricketer, um, wicket keeper, who's also a painter? No, you no, it doesn't matter. I'm trying to think. Was he also on it? Anyway, I'm still. You can look at this game, though. You could write it in the blog. Yeah, I'd love to do it, you see. If only I could have my time all over again. Yeah, you can start yeah, with like time. The show is, not, unfortunately, not on anymore, is it? No, but you know, we, we have a new show called yeah. Paul's Fake Irish Family. Version instead of the UK. It could be called fake, Paul's Fake Family Histories. And Paul, three people would appear, Paul would give family histories for all three. Oh, then, yeah, and they're actually, you're you right. right. Absolutely. Okay, you know, it's true. Yeah. You could have Trump and Obama and me. See, we could have. Here's this lady. She just has to say a few things. We're just given a few basic things about her, like I don't know what, um, but some things about her, like she's interested in travel. She um, anyway, she's living in Kong, and um, she's a splendid chef. And uh, we then have to. There are three descriptions of why she's in Ireland. Well, you know, she came to bury her great grandmother. She met a farmer. 
married the farmer. She's on witness protection. Everything, everything, <laughs> everything went wrong on the farm, the, and whatever. And we get the story, and we get three. That could be quite Especially as the story is elaborated. You know, yeah, yeah, she married a, a pig farmer in County Mayo, the problem was that the bottom fell out of the pig market and they switched the market. So well. so, uh, no, like, right. You feel like there shouldn't be farmers in Mayo, even if there aren't. I was amazed in England how many pig farmers there are. I've never seen a big pig farm in here. I've never seen pig farms here. Only small, only small, small holders. Uh, well, I suppose they'd be a temporary year. Well, so we don't pig farm not too far from I thought for a minute you were saying we had a pig farm. I no, thought that was the pig farm. No. As my wife says, I married a countryman with no land. Yes, how did she do that? So, yes. My partner doesn't know what to do with the country. I take him out because he's, he's, the first time he saw a lamb hitting, to, you know, to yeah. he was like, oh my god, what is, what is it doing? I said, what? Thank you very much. What's what doing? What's the lamb doing? I said, get it off. Oh, starting to die. What do we not works. understand about this? <laughs> he goes, oh my God, what's going on? I'm like, what? <laughs> I can't take it. <laughs> Poor old city boy that doesn't know where your food comes from. I didn't know that until I moved here. Oh, really? Oh, jeez. I lived in almost all cities exclusively. Really? So I lived in the country at one point. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Now we've always had farms. Yeah. Of course, it's the thing where you drive in line and kids look at the window and go, oh, look at those cows up too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's a biology teacher. Oh. She goes, oh, that's sexist. And she explains the whole bloody thing. Explains whatever the yeah. age appropriate level was for them on the stage. So. Said, yes. Nobody ever is going to traumatize my kids. They're, 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 they're very, very, very well. They all take all the food. We have one more time to go. You would have seen a cow. So I'm like, go to the perfect dialect. I grew up in the country, so we had, we had, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the right, right on the edge of a town. Same old places where the memory of her lingers, everywhere. Right, we're gonna go.
Midnight in the bar of Donahue's Hotel. In the corner here is a man with a guitar, a woman with a guitar, a man who's got a tin whistle and a guitar, a man who's got a tin whistle and a woman who sings. Lots of in the bar. We might get another another bit of music. Khan is Khanamunakon. Uh, He's got a guitar on his on his thigh. There's a local man with a guitar, he's passing it over to the woman. Connor's moved his clamp.
I didn't go to Congregation 2017, known on the internet as hashtag Kong17. I didn't go to this unconference to discuss whether or not Ireland should have a new constitution and whether the constitution should be arrived at in a single referendum. No, that had absolutely nothing to do with innovation as far as I was concerned at the time. And I certainly didn't go to the conference to discuss somebody's experience of prejudice and discrimination, racism in Ireland. No, I didn't uh, go to a conference about innovation to talk about politics and to talk about multiculturalism. But I could have. Uh, for example, is it possible to do innovative work in a global world in a monocultural group? Is there such a thing as innovative work if all the people belong to the same culture, the same nationality, the same ethnic group? I don't know. And I think that would be an interesting topic. And I think it would have been an interesting topic. It would have been interesting if people had evidence about that and were able to, well, have, a, have an exchange of, at the very least, information and theories about that. Is there something in the Irish Constitution which prevents innovative work or holds back innovative work being done in Ireland? Is there? Has any innovative work in, been done in Ireland during the period of our current Constitution, which comes dates from 1937 with a few amendments? And if the Constitution is felt to be in some way a barrier, which parts of it are a barrier or a disincentive to innovative work? There's just a couple of examples of parts of yesterday that at the time I found very unsatisfactory, but on reflection I come away from Kong saying to myself, there's something to be considered here, something that I could usefully consider. And even though I didn't feel it at the time, I now feel very grateful to the two people who pursued those topics. One of them pursued it at two particular groups I was in. So I'm very grateful to those two people. I haven't expressed my gratitude, but I just think it's, uh, I, f I find it a valuable experience to wake up the day after having been grumpy about something and find myself saying, hey, I got real value out of the thing that I didn't like. So that's it, that's uh, first reflections 
on the morning. I'm driving past a signpost that says St. Mary's Church, R6 and loft to the left, and public toilets, WC to the right, and another sign that says caution, ramps ahead. In fact, the thing you really need to be cautious about isn't so much the ramps as the river. I mean, you could literally drive the car straight ahead from where I'm going and land in there beside the swans and the water. Anyway, Kong is a great place, I say again, if you like water. Bye for now. Time has flown out the window and it's now coming up to one o'clock in the day and I'm leaving the village, the tiny village of Kong in the west of Ireland on the borders of counties Galway and Mayo. After having spent perhaps three quarters of an hour in the company of David Gluckman, and I'll come back to that in a minute, it's uh, raining it looks as if it's going to be wet the whole way down and I, I, I leave with one regret which is that I am not able to meet up with one or two people who I was looking forward to meeting up with before I left Kong and I'll just either have to wait another year to meet them or else have to go out of our ways to meet up during the year. Now I, I, I've been reflecting on what uh, the high points for me at Kong were. And one, one in particular stands out above everything else, and it was what happened on Friday night in the cinema of Ashford Castle, which is one of the fanciest, if not the fanciest, hotel in Ireland. And I'm a sucker for stories. Stories hook me. Didactic presentation of ideas seldom do, but stories hook me. Parables hook me. Uh, fables hook me. All of that sort of stuff hooks me. And so when a person stands up at a you know, occasion and launches into a story, there's a very good chance that I'll pay attention. What I hadn't realised as, as strongly as I realise now is that the disposition, the stance and the tone of voice with which the person voices their story has a bigger impact on me than I'd realised because the, my unconscious gets, you know, deals with all of these things. They're not things that I notice at the time. So, to tell you that the man who stood up on Friday night, the very first person who was going to speak, stood up on the stage and the way he stood and the way he kind of slightly leant on the lectern and the conversational style, no exaggeration, in fact, a little trace of understatement all the way through, a complete absence of self-aggrandizement, or in fact, aggrandizement of anything. You see, he invented with another person, Bailey's, the drink, Bailey's. 
and goodness knows how many million of them are drunk every every week or every day. It's actually, I believe, a bigger global brand than Guinness. And I don't think I've ever drunk it. It doesn't appeal to me much. But this uh, man, David Gluckman, was the inventor. And, you know, this is like, you know, well, meeting the person who invented Guinness, which can't be done because Guinness was invented in 1798 or something like that. The, but the disposition of the storyteller is just hugely important. I think intellectually I knew it, but I'm leaving Kong with sort of resensitive, with my senses re-alerted to the importance of this and wondering, you know, what my own disposition, how, how, how could I possibly speak in as attractive a way as David Luxman did? What would, I mean, David told me afterwards that, you know, it was all undeliberate. And uh, I think I believe that because when I was sitting at the table with him this morning, it was the same man who was on stage. And, you know, so it wasn't as if he took a deep breath and went on to make a speech. No, he just spoke to more people than usual while standing on a limited space, which could as easily have been a bar. But the acoustics were much better. So thank you, David Luckman. Ireland has a written constitution and it has many clauses in its constitution. It's quite different from the U.S. Bill of the U.S. Uh, um, Bill of Rights or whatever it's called. Um, it's quite different from the American Constitution, although there may be some overlap. But the key thing is that this constitution, written in 1937, um, has been amended a few times. And uh, the question really is that Victoria, this one has asked, is uh, how does the current Irish constitution um, act as a barrier to innovation? Now, I should make uh, it clear, first of all, that I haven't ever considered this question. Uh, a person at the at the um, Kong uh, Congregation 2017 unconference had put that point of view and there wasn't time to explore it and uh, she didn't make it her central point so it was just something that went into the ether apart from one or two remarks made in response to that suggestion but I wish I knew more about what are the social conditions which are most conducive to innovation, the carrying out of innovations or the, yeah, yeah, what is the, what's the most, the best social conditions? Um, if we take it that there have been many innovations in human history I presume we'd all agree that the discovery of fire was an innovation. 
I presume we'd all agree that the discovery of a, a method to make uh, raw olives edible is an innovation. Um, I presume the discovery of what can be done with flax as a, uh, an innovation, as well as the iPhone and a number of other things. Um, I don't know what social conditions uh, helped to make these things happen. I, I could barely guess. Uh, I, I suppose that, let us say, the heavy hand of uh, an organization that has got a strong ideological um, uh, bent and that is deeply intolerant of any other ideology would be regarded, especially if it was highly, yeah, highly influential, yet yeah, would be regarded as unconducive to innovation. Now, if we apply that principle to history, um, I'm sure it falls down because during the dominant period of dominance of the Roman Catholic Church, there have been innovations, haven't there? Now, if I knew more about innovations, I could list them. Um, I don't know if there have been more innovations in Southern Europe than Northern Europe. And if we, if we say that in general, Southern Europe is a place dominated by Roman Catholic ideology as opposed to in which people would have less less free thought than in Northern Europe. So these are kind of questions that also I believe that there have been, there must have been surely innovations carried out within social groups which were all, all from a homogeneous background where there were no, we'll say, outsiders present in the society where the innovation occurred. So I do find it uh, overall a very difficult question to answer. Maybe Victorious will say a little bit more.